0: In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. This past weekend, I had the privilege of being a speaker at Jack Hibbs Church, Calvary Chapel in Chino Hills, California, and sharing top billing with Larry Elder, Star Parker, and others. On today's show, I'm going to share with you a snippet of what I said. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Good morning and welcome to The Rebellion. Thanks again for listening in. Really appreciate your loyalty and I also appreciate you copying and pasting a link to your favorite episodes of The Rebellion and getting it out there in your social media. I appreciate all of my loyal subscribers. Uh, By the way, if you want to follow The Rebellion on a routine basis and if you'd like to support us, you can do so by going to patreon.com backslash Dr. Everett Piper. That's patreon.com backslash D-R-E-V-E-R-E-T-T-P-I-P-E-R. And don't forget you can get my books, Not a Daycare, The Devastating Consequences of Abandoning Truth, and the sequel, Grow Up, Life Isn't Safe, But It's Good. You can purchase both of those books on Amazon.com or Barnes & Noble or whatever online bookstore you use to get your reading material. So on today's show, I want to cover what I talked about at Jack Hibbs Calvary Chapel in Chino, California. I was blessed to be invited to be part of a conference, a day-long conference there with Larry Elder, Star Parker, and several others who were speakers in that particular event. It was a great event. Jack Hibbs does a great job. Great ministry, and there were I don't know uh, several thousand people listening in, either on ground right there in the facility or online across the nation and arguably across the world. Now you can go to their website and access any of the talks. Again, Jack Hibbs, Calvary Chapel, Chino Cal, or, excuse me, Chino Hills, California. But I'll also have a link to my particular speech posted on my Facebook as well as Twitter and Parler and other social media platforms that I have. By the way, if you want to follow me on Facebook, I have three separate pages. One is under Everett Piper. That's E-V-E-R-E-T-T-P-I-P-E-R. That's my personal page, but unfortunately it's maxed out at 5,000 friends. I don't know why Facebook has a ceiling, a limit on that, but they do. And you can't accept any more than that 5000 So if you ask me uh, if uh, to accept you as a friend on that particular page, I can't accept any more because it's maxed out. So go to the other Facebook page that I have, and that's my public personality page. That's under Dr. Everett Piper. That's D-R Everett Piper. So that one is a public personality page, and therefore you can have unlimited followers. Then I have a third page, which is on my campaign to be county commissioner for District 1 of Osage County in Oklahoma. That one has a small number of followers, only about 450 at that point. I don't post as much of my personal commentary on that one. Uh, That's more related to my campaign, but I'd welcome you following me there too. And then, of course, on Twitter, it's Dr. Everett Piper on my Twitter feed. Okay, so that's some... uh, Housekeeping for the day. So, I want to share with you after the break a brief excerpt of what I talked about in Chino Hills, uh, California, just this past Saturday at Jack Hibbs Calvary Chapel. And again, Larry Elder was the big dog there, and the rest of us shared billing with him. So, let's take a break, and when I get back, I'll give you a little bit of a taste, and then you can go to their website, Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills. Pull up their conference, which was Come Back, California, and uh, listen to some of the speakers. For sure, listen to Larry Elder and what he had to say. And maybe, if you're so inclined, even listen to yours truly. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion, and I'll be right back in a couple minutes. Welcome back to The Rebellion. Okay, at this conference that took place this past Saturday, again, it's Comeback California, at Calvary Chapel, in Chino Hills, Pastor Jack Hibbs, H I B B S. I titled this talk The Fall of Babel and Ideas Matter. And basically what I shared with the audience was this that as a college president for 17 years, I argued over and over again something that you've heard about on this show and that is that what ideas have consequences. Ideas matter. Good ideas, good culture, good communities, good kids and good leaders. And bad ideas, bad culture, bad communities, bad kids, bad leaders. Uh, you've heard me say it over and over again. For good or for ill, our ideas always matter. We are going to behave in accordance with our beliefs. It's inevitable. And in many ways, we do eventually practice what we preach. And then I quoted Carlyle, which I've quoted before on this show. But it's an excellent quote of the ages, and it is this. That thing a man does practically believe, a thing a man does practically lay to heart and know for certain, is in all cases the primary thing for him, and creatively determines all of the rest. Carlyle. So in other words, what's my point? You've heard it before. Your grandma was right. Garbage in and garbage out. So I, I challenged the audience in Chino Hills that I wanted to talk about the power of an idea, one singular idea, And it was what I've called, is what I've called, a terrible idea, a bad idea. And it's the one from Supreme Court Justice Anthony Kennedy in 1992, where he wrote, At the heart of liberty is the right to define one's own concept of existence, of meaning, of the universe, and the mystery of human life. Close quote. One more time on that. Again, you've heard me critique this idea before. But I want you to listen to what Anthony Kennedy wrote one more time. At the heart of liberty is the right to define one's own concept of existence. Excuse me. Let me go back and do that one more time. At the heart of liberty is the right to define one's own concept of existence, of meaning, of the universe, and the mystery of human life. Now, it sounds like a great quote at first blush. Oh, we swoon over that, the freedom that we have, the liberty that we have to define our own concept of existence, of meaning, of the universe, and the mystery of human life. But I would argue that that's one of the most vacuous bits of pablum that's ever come forth from a Supreme Court Justice of the United States of America. Now, why do I say that? Why do I say that this man, who was emblematic of what it means to straddle the fence. I mean, that's what Justice Kennedy became known for, right? He was the guy that always broke the tie between the liberals and the conservatives, or at least that's the way the media painted him. Uh, But he opened up Pandora's box, and he released a curse, I would argue, of Herculean proportions on our society by uttering those words. I mean, just think where we are as the result of him saying that we have the right to define our own concept of existence. We've got proponents of critical race theory doubling down, suggesting that people with paler skin are actually less human than persons of color. They have the right to define their own concept of what it means to be a human being. And if you don't have enough melanin in your skin, you're less human. You're not fully human. I mean, they're saying that. That's what Hannah Nicole Jones has said. That's what Nick Cannon has said. They've actually said this. This is not a good place for us to go, people. I mean, this is so similar to what the Nazis said of Jews. They dumbed down Jews to being not human, less than human. This is what slave traders said of blacks. This is what William Wilberforce had to challenge in the in the British Empire by telling those people in parliament, that black people were actually human. They were men and women too. And now we have a movement called Critical Theory, which is doing the exact same thing, relegating certain human beings to a lesser status because of the way they look. This is not going to end well. And then it's hardly newsworthy to hear that parents are raising a child to choose his own pronouns and his own gender. And they're Encouraging kids as young as two at Oklahoma State University to do this? And even in schools, kindergarteners, first graders, second graders, third graders are being indoctrinated with with this nonsense. And we have pride marchers during Pride Month, including our vice president, Kamala Harris, who are strutting our streets declaring that their sexual inclinations are one and the same with their human identity men who presumably stand against cultural appropriation turn around and appropriate unto themselves things that are not theirs, like a woman's identity, a woman's dignity, her sport, her locker room, her shower, and her restroom. All of these examples, all of these examples, are precisely what was inevitable when Justice Kennedy told us to define our own existence. In other words, these are all stories that have one thing in common. All of them are examples of doing precisely what Justice Kennedy told us to do. All of them, all of them are examples, tales, of choosing to define our own concept of existence, deciding for ourselves what it means to be human, defining human, defining men and women in our own image, rather than accepting the fact that we are defined by God In his image. Uh, This is the seminal issue of our time. This is the biggest question that drives all others. Defining what it means to be human matters. And who gets to define? Who gets to define the human being? Definition matters. We ask questions that imply that this definition matters. In other words, are we morally culpable? Do we choose our actions? Do our appetites and desires define us? Can we and should we rise above our instincts and inclinations? Can we decide to behave differently? Are we defined by the color of our skin or by the content of our character? Is there such a thing as an objective male and female? These are all important questions, aren't they? And if we can't answer these questions rightly, then everything else is going to be wrong. Everything else is going to be wrong in the wake that follows. For almost 5,000 years, the Judeo-Christian tradition has affirmed that we are the Imago Dei. Over and over again on the show, I have told you that we are made in the image of God. We are the Imago Dei. We're not the Imago dog. We're not animals. This is, a, this is a time-tested truth, and it's elevated mankind, us, you and me, to an objective good like no other, and it has done so for centuries. This, this idea of being made in the image of God stands in direct opposition to our modern-day hell-bent determination to diminish men and women to little more than the products of intersectionality or our libido and our fantasies. Or the libidinous desires of those who deem themselves the fittest, you know, that should survive in the ultimate struggle? Uh, More questions. Are we merely products of the primordial soup? Are we nothing but evolved beasts that have risen triumphantly from a Marxian swamp? Are we simply happenstance and chance? Do we have moral significance above a dog, a pig, a cat, a cow, or even a virus for that matter? Are we, are we different than all the rest of what we see around us? We need to ask these questions. Why do we believe in justice? Why is that so important to the left? Why do they care about civil rights? Why does anybody? Why are we indignant when we see something that we consider to be wrong? Why do you stand alone? Why do you stand alone among all the beings in creation, Caring about things like tolerance and love and inclusion, equality, and fairness. I've I've mentioned this before. Why do you think rape is wrong? Why is slavery something to be revile, reviled? And why isn't greed good and why is the Holocaust bad? And how about this? Do you still believe in science? Do you believe in biology and physiology and genetics? Is a human being an objective reality or... Is a human being nothing but a social construct? Again and again, the answers to all of these questions are important. They're the necessary predicate for everything else. Defining the human being, defining who we are, is the starting point for everything that follows. And if we fail at this, at this first thing, any meaningful quest for justice and righteousness and meaning, and individual happiness, or even community or corporate happiness, is lost. It's, it's, it's worthless. Getting the answers wrong to all the stuff that I've just rattled off and asked, it's akin to what M. Scott Peck called lying to us, the diabolical human mind. And as I've said before, Graham Walker called it the pathology of the intellect, the sickness of thinking you're smart enough to define your own concept of existence, of meaning, of the universe. I mean, when Justice Kennedy uttered those words, he opened up Pandora's box and exposed the big lie. St. Augustine called it fantastica fornicato, the prostitution of the mind. Again, the biggest deception of our time is the lie that slithered forth from Justice Kennedy's Pandoran box in 1992, the idea that we can decide who we are, that we have the right to determine what it means to be human, and that we can define for ourselves by our libido rather than our Lord through the fantastica fornication, fornicato, that we are in charge of our own happiness, our own definition of purpose what it means to be a man or a woman, a human being. It's intellectual pornography. It's pedagogical poison. It's the sin that leads to all others. It's pride. What C.S. Lewis called a sin that probably ranks first precisely because it opens the door to all other capital sins. It's the complete anti-God state of mind. Again, that's C.S. Lewis. Pride. It's pride. And we know that, Pride cometh before a fall, right? Just listen to the words of the Apostle Paul as we evaluate this proclamation by Justice Kennedy. Here's what Paul said. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, God gave them up to a debased mind. And they were filled with all manner of malice and envy and murder and strife and deceit. They were inventors of evil. Close quote. This is what Paul said in his letter to the Romans, to the early church, the first century church, the first Christians. He said, be careful of this. And here's what Nathaniel Hawthorne says. Words so innocent and powerless as they are as standing in a dictionary, how potent for good and evil they become in the hands of those who know how to manipulate them. So manipulating our own concept of existence, the definition of who we are, the meaning of the universe, the meaning of what it means to be human. You know, it sounds innocent, doesn't it, as these words stand powerless and abstract, standing in a dictionary, but they become very potent for good and evil in the hands of those who know how to manipulate them. You know, in my book, you've heard me talk about not a daycare, and you've also heard me read from and talk about. Grow up. Life isn't safe, but it's good. In that book, Grow Up, I offer this. If we are to communicate sanely and intelligently with one another, words must mean something. A pony can't be a fish, and a fish can't be a chicken. The meaning of words must be objective and predictable and enduring. If they're not you couldn't read the sentence that I have just quoted and hope to understand what it says. The very nature of speaking and reading and writing assumes definitional clarity. Otherwise, normal daily communication would become as impossible as trying to play football without a field or a ball. And I go on in that, that particular chapter, and I say this. When it comes to a dictionary, facts matter. Your feelings don't. You might feel like... Red is a number, but it's not. You might feel like 2 plus 2 equals green, but it doesn't. You might feel like dogs are quarter horses and that your Labrador retriever can lay eggs, but she won't. In all of these examples, none of your feelings change the facts of what truly is. Definitions matter. Your delusions don't. The bottom line is this. Words have to mean something, and as human beings, as human beings, we are unique in this understanding and our use of language as our, as our method of communication, our primary way to talk to one another, to communicate with one another. We debate and we argue. We make speeches and we deliver sermons. We teach lessons. We pontificate, we preach, and we proclaim. We espouse liberal and conservative ideas, And our bigger ideas are framed and defended with emotion and passion and anger and indignation. We have confidence in our words. And all of us resist any attempt to co-opt and twist or manipulate their meanings. We don't like it when people say something about us that isn't true. We say, I didn't say that. You're misrepresenting me. What you're saying about me is a lie. That's the way we defend ourselves indignantly and with passion, because our words mean something. We defend them with tenacity. If they deceive, we call them lies. If they embolden, we call them inspiring. If they are promises, we call them contracts. Words have meaning. And history shows that they have power to build nations, define religions, inspire revolutions, defend what is true, or even hide what is false. Today's woke disregard for this objective meaning of words has led to less liberty, not more. Progressives have spun reality and turned it on its head. In their fluid rainbow lexicon, love is now synonymous with sex, and hate is now synonymous with love, and men are women, and women are men. This is all just an example of the exact same thing. I'm saying the same thing over and over again, really. When we compromise the definition of words and their clear meanings, we compromise our ability to debate or to disagree, and we shift from being critical thinkers to little more than parrots for critical theory and what's popular and in vogue. I'll say that again. When we shift from being critical thinkers to proponents and parrots of critical theory. We're really doing nothing but you know, just popping off about what's popular and in vogue. C.S. Lewis expressed this type of a shift as he scolded the agnostic in The Great Divorce. This is a quote I've shared with you over and over again. C.S. Lewis in The Great Divorce says this, We simply found ourselves in contact with a certain current of ideas and plunged into it. And because it seemed modern and successful, we just started automatically saying the kind of things that won applause, close quote. If that doesn't describe where we are today, I don't know what does. If Jesus' parable of building on sand or rock tells us anything, it tells us that foundations matter, Right? That definitions make a difference. A stable foundation holds true, and shifting sands are going to crumble. Christ was very clear. Our lives, he says, must be built on the solid rock of enduring definitions. Or as Chesterton put it, the point of opening one's mind is akin to that of opening one's mouth. It's to close it on something solid. Great quote from Chesterton. And a, a culture of shifting sand, of moving targets, of fairy tale definitions. It's going to collapse. It's going to fall. Words have definitions and meanings. And meanings aren't changed just because you feel like it. The Mad Hatter in Alice in Wonderland said this. If I had a world of my own, everything would be nonsense, nothing would be what it is, because everything would be what it isn't. And contrarywise, is, it wouldn't be. Again, does that sound like where we are as a culture right now? I mean, the exchange between Senator Blackburn and Justice Jackson, where Senator Blackburn said, okay, can you provide a definition of the word woman? Justice Jackson, can I provide a definition of the word woman? Well, no, I can't. Blackburn. You can't? Jackson. Not in this context. I'm not a biologist. Welcome to a culture of chaos. Welcome to a land of total confusion. Welcome to a nation where those who speak of justice can't even define the word just. Those who deny biology do so while elevating biologists. Welcome to a Congress and a court where a judge who knows she was nominated explicitly because she's a female, now says that she can't provide a definition for the word woman. <laughs> it's just asinine. It's insane. Welcome to Genesis 11. Welcome to the Tower of Babel. It, great book that I've talked about a couple of times on this show. Awake Not Woke by Noelle Maring, where she says this, A breakdown of our common understanding of words leads to a society in chaos and frustration, inevitably miscommunicating and plagued with distrust. When words lose their meaning, we become suspicious, not only of each other, but also of ourselves and our ability to grasp reality. We become a cacophony screaming across a chasm for recognition. Each of us, the ruler of our own constitutive reality. Distrustful, fragile, and hot-tempered. Close quote. She just summarized the outcome, the end result of living by Justice Kennedy's lie. She goes on to cite Leon Cass and his book, The Beginning of Wisdom, where he writes that the breakdown of common language was really the story of the Tower of Babel. Here's Cass's quote. Because language bespeaks the inner world of the speakers, sharing one language also means a common inner life, with simple words accurately conveying the self-same imaginings, passions, and desires of every human being. To be of one language is to be of one mind and heart about the most fundamental things. Close quote. When our shared language becomes compromised, we lose not only the utility of it, which enables us to convey basic facts about the practical realities of daily life. We also lose any common and universal meaning toward which our daily lives must point. Welcome to Genesis 11. Welcome to the Tower of Babel of incoherence. And the Lord said, come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they don't understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over all the face of the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, their name was called Babel. Genesis eleven seven 7 through 9. The ivory tower is crumbling because we've lost the definition of words. We've claimed the ability to define our own concept of existence, of meaning, of the universe, and what it means to have purpose and happiness. Rather than accepting the objective definitions that God has given us, we've risen up, declared ourselves to be God, and we've decided to define everything rather than to accept the definitions that He graciously has given us. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion.